The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen Amen to that. Okay, we're going to be in Numbers 18 again today. We're going to finish the chapter, 13 verses. It's Numbers 18, 20 through 32. It's entitled The Levitical Priesthood, Part 2. Verse 20, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance Therefore, I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. Of all your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the winepress." You may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. The 12 verses we will look at today mention a tithe five times. That's as many as have been seen in all of Genesis through Leviticus so far. The first two in Genesis predate the law and are not considered in what we will look at today except in our final analysis of the subject. Until then, we will evaluate the verses as usual. 
When we get about halfway through the sermon, a full explanation of why mandatory tithing is simply not an acceptable practice in the church will be given. But evaluating these verses first is needed, and you'll see why as we go along. The law's introduction of the tithes in Leviticus is now going to be expanded on here. But this is not the end of it. Before we finish the law of Moses, we will see the tithe again in Deuteronomy also. Each time what is said builds upon what has been said. It is what we would call progressive revelation. God introduces a subject, and then he expands on it, clarifies it, or replaces it with another precept as redemptive history moves on. As tithing is one of the most misunderstood precepts by congregants and most abused by clergy in the church, I am going through it in detail again today as I have done so in the past. And yes, I will do so again when we get to Deuteronomy. There are a few good reasons for this. First, we all forget and need reminders. Secondly, I want you to be perfectly trained on what it means to give within a Christian context. And third, I love that I can cut and paste things that I've already preached on, <laughs> weaving thoughts together in a new way, and yet save a couple of hours on sermon typing. Normally, sermon typing takes 10 to 12 hours. This one took about eight and a half, so I saved a little bit of time. It is like a donut with glaze and with sprinkles, too, when I can do that. Our text verse comes from Nehemiah 13. It is verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Nehemiah notes that all of Judah brought in their tithes as commanded by the law of Moses. Good job, Judah. Question, are we Judah? No. Are we under the law of Moses? No. The answer to both is no. But just in case you're not sure about that, we'll go over it a little bit later in the sermon. John Lang knew the answer to that, but he makes an incorrect analogy concerning the verses that we are looking at today. Remember it said that the Levites are to take a tenth of their tithe and give it to the priests. Here's what he says. The tenth of the tithe, a heave offering for the priests. Thus, the members of the church that are most alive are the best supporters of the official pastorate. That means that the guys who give the most to the church are the most alive in the church. Here he equates the Levites who gave the tithe of their tithe to the priests as the most alive of the members of the church and also the best supporters of the official pastorate. Is that correct? Is there a set category of Christians who are marked by how much they give or if they give a certain percent of what they make? And to think that through even more, are you mandated in the new covenant to give a certain portion of what you make? If so, and if you are being compared to the Levites in doing so, then who is giving to you? I mean, Israel was told to give to the Lord for the Levites, and the Levites were told to give to the Lord from there. If you are the most alive and the best supporters of the official pastorate, then that must be because someone is giving a tithe to you so that you can then give on a tithe of that to the pastorate. Do you see the problem with that analysis? What we need in our theology is clarity of thought. John Lang is one of my favorite scholars, but he, like most commentators I read week to week, though being very clear on most subjects, suddenly loses clarity of thought in his theology when it comes to tithing. If you want clarity of thought, stick to the word in context. Marvels of clarity are to be found in his superior word. 
And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought for you today is, I am your portion and your inheritance. It's verses 20 through 24. Verse 20, then the Lord said to Aaron, here again, as in verse 1, the word said is used instead of spoke, which was used in verse 8. In saying said, it implies that a task is required beyond simply receiving commands. So far, all three addresses have been to Aaron alone. Verse 20 continues, you shall have no inheritance in their land. The words here are in the second person singular in the Hebrew. Aaron is singled out, and guess what? He's not even going in to enter into Canaan. But as the high priest, he stands as representative over all of the Levitical priesthood. This doesn't mean just the priests, but all of Levi, as has been seen and as will continue to be explained. Here the word nachal, or inheritance, is used. It means to take possession or to inherit. When Israel enters into Canaan, Levi will not take possession of any land for themselves. When the land divisions are made among the tribes, there will be none made for Levi. This is the first time it is explicitly said that there will be no inheritance for Levi, although it was alluded to in the instructions for redemption of property back in Leviticus 25. Verse 20 continues, nor shall you have any portion among them. Now the word chelek, or portion, is used. That comes from chalak, signifying to divide and thus an allotment. The normal order of land division and inheritance for the society would not be seen in the Levitical priesthood. But they were not left empty-handed. Verse 20 continues, I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. This explains what has been said concerning the sacrifices and offerings mentioned in the first 19 verses, and it will continue to be explained in the collecting of the tithes for the Levites and for the priests in the coming 12 verses. There was to be no landed property for Aaron, meaning the Levitical priesthood, because the Lord is both his portion and his inheritance. Cities were to be set aside for the Levites, but they were not to be involved in agricultural pursuits as were the rest of the people of Israel. They were to be entirely devoted to the service of the Lord, and therefore they were not to be engaged in other types of manual labor and industry, nor in warfare. In the dividing of the spoils of war, a portion of those spoils was taken out not for Levi, but for the Lord. This then was given to Levi, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, as it says in Numbers 31, verse 47. That which belonged to the Lord would tend to their needs, and thus he would be both their portion and their inheritance. The thought presented here is such a great honor that in the Psalms, even non-Levites claimed that their portion was not truly of this world, but it was of the Lord himself, such as with King David in the 142nd Psalm. He says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The author of Lamentations, believed to be Jeremiah of the priests of Israel, called out in a similar manner. While the land around him was being destroyed by the invading army of Babylon, Jeremiah remembered what the Lord had promised here in Numbers. Here's what it says in Lamentations 3. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Verse 21, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel. 
Here is seen for the fifth time in scripture the ma'asar, or tithe. It comes from asar, meaning ten, and thus it is a tenth. The word is singular, and there is no article. Thus, that which is set apart as a tithe is meant here. If your Bible has the word the before tithe, or an S on the end of tithe, please make a note of correction. The Lord says that all tithe in Israel is given to the children of Levi, but no further explanation is given. The implication, then, is that the tenth portion, or tithe of Israel, belongs to the Lord. As it belongs to him, he has the right to portion it out as he determines. This has already been explicitly seen in Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. That this is the Lord's, and it is his to determine what is done with it, is important to remember, because what is described here in Numbers is not the end of the story concerning the tithes. If one were to use Numbers 18 alone as their explanation of what Israel did with the tithes, they would have a faulty view of the matter. In his commentary on this verse, Charles Ellicott says, the reference here is to the first tithe, or tenth of the whole of the produce of the land. He and various other scholars state that this tithe is different than the tithe as recorded in Deuteronomy. This is wholly inaccurate. There is no such thing as a first tithe and a second tithe. Man, not scripture, has formed that terminology and the faulty doctrine which proceeds from it. And we do not want you to have faulty view of the tithes. The whole matter will be explained again during this sermon because of that. Verse 21 continues, As an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. The tithe, which belongs to the Lord, is its own nachalah, or inheritance for Levi. This not only included agricultural products, but also of livestock, as we have also seen before in Leviticus chapter 27, where it said this, And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. The Lord is Levi's inheritance and portion. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The Lord gives the tithe as an inheritance. This is said to be chelef, or an exchange for the work they perform. It is a new noun which is only seen here and in verse 31. It comes from the verb chalaf, which means to pass away or through. The idea then is that the tithe passes through the Lord to Levi in return for their work at the tent of meeting. Therefore, verse 22, hereafter the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting lest they bear sin and die. The idea here is that Israel had fashioned all of the implements for the sanctuary, but once they were dedicated to the service of the Lord, they were no longer common. The sanctuary was where the people met with the Lord, but they were restricted entirely from the tent of meeting, which included the brazen altar. They could only bring forward their offerings, and from there, the Levites assisted the priests. But even the Levites had restrictions upon them. Should the non-Levitical Israelites come near the tent of meeting, they would incur and thus bear sin and die. Verse 23, But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. Ve'abad halevi hu. And work the Levite he. The masculine clearly shows that this is speaking of the individual male Levite. 
He shall perform the work of the tent of meeting and bear the iniquity of the children of Israel. The purpose of Levi was to stand between Israel and the priests. This was seen back in Numbers chapter 8, where it said, And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Thus, the intent of the words bear their iniquity is that Levi bore the iniquity of the people. They were set apart to accomplish these duties, and thus they could bear the people's iniquity before the Lord, whereas the common people could not. Verse 23 continues, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Because what belonged to the Lord was given to them, making the Lord their inheritance, they were to have no inheritance in Canaan. This was to be forever, meaning until the ending of the law of Moses. As the law is annulled in Christ, so is the statute. Verse 24, For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. The words here begin to explain the fault of what some call the second tithe, as if two tithes were required of Israel. That which is offered to the Lord as a heave offering is given to the Levites as their inheritance. Not all of the tithes were offered up to the Lord in this way. Again, this verse says, tithe, not the tithes. If you have the in there or an S at the end, please correct your Bible. That which was not referred to here is dealt with separately, as is described in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Coming soon to an explanation near you. Verse 24 continues. Therefore, I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Because the tithe of Israel is to be reckoned as the Levites' produce of the land, they shall have no inheritance. The very fact that they benefited off of the inheritance of Israel in place of the firstborn of Israel meant that they would have no inheritance of their own. Give a tithe. This is what you are instructed to do. Give that tithe, just as the preacher does say. Are you questioning the preacher? Who are you? Give that tithe as you are told. Be sure that you pay. How can you receive God's grace if you don't give? You must not understand what grace means at all. Oh my goodness, is it by grace that you live? If that's what you think, you're headed for a fall. Grace in this church means give, give, give. Of course that's what it means. That's how you get grace. What? Do you think it's a gift? Is that how you live? You have misunderstood and you will not finish this race. That was to be taken as a joke, please, okay? Our second thought today, the ties of the Levites, verses 25 through 32. Verse 25, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, the address of the Lord now returns to Moses, and it is the word spoke and not said. It is simply commands which are to be passed on and acted upon, specifically for the Levites. As it might appear that the priests were attempting to gain unapproved advantage over the Levites, and as Moses is not a priest, it is appropriate that the Lord speaks this through him and not through Aaron. Verse 26, speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. 
The command is for the Levites to take a tenth from the tithe that they have received from their tithe. It is singular, and there is no thee before tithe, correct your Bible if necessary, of the children of Israel, which was considered their inheritance. They are to then offer that part up as Jehovah's heave offering. It is not to the Lord, but the Hebrew says heave offering Jehovah. It is a tenth of a tithe. That this is again called a heave offering in and of itself shows that only that which is presented to the Lord is considered in these verses. Any other uses for the annual tithes not presented as heave offerings are dealt with separately. Verse 27, and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and the fullness of the winepress. Just as Israel had the mandate of passing on a tithe to the Lord for the Levites, so they now have a mandate of passing on their own tithe to the Lord. This would be deemed as if they had given the produce of their own land if they had been given an inheritance. Here the yakev, or wine vat, is seen for the first of 16 times. It comes from an unused root, meaning to excavate. Thus, it is a trough which has been dug out. Verse 28, Thus you shall offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the children of Israel. This is the first of four times that the word tithe is plural. The other three are all referring to the tithes of the people as described in Deuteronomy 12, verse 6 and 11, and Amos 4, verse 4. The Levites were to make their own tithe Jehovah's heave offering. Again, like verse 26, it is the Lord's heave offering. Verse 28 continues, And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. This tithe, called the Lord's heave offering, becomes the property of Aaron the priest, meaning the priestly line which descends from him. Thus, because the Lord is their inheritance, and because this is the Lord's heave offering, the offering itself is reckoned as a part of their inheritance. Verse 29, Of all your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Not only were the Levites to take a tithe of their tithe and offer it up as a heave offering, but they were also to take the best portion of all of the gifts they received according to law, in addition to the tithe, and they were to offer those up as the Lord's heave offering. The term best portion in Hebrew says the fat of them. Fat signifies the best. If you remember from Leviticus, the special fat portions of the sacrifices were always burnt on the altar to the Lord because they pictured Christ. Here, that fat portion is called mikdesho, or the sacred holy portion. Verse 30, therefore you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and the produce of the winepress. The meaning of this is that when the Levites had made a dedication of the fat, meaning the best of what they had received, the tithe and gifts, then the remaining portion belonged to them just as if they had worked in the fields, threshing floor and wine press for it. They could do whatever they wished with it. They could eat it. They could sell it. They could store it up or whatever. It was their property to dispense with as they chose. Verse 31. You may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. What the Levites received, and which was described in the previous verse, could be eaten anywhere, just as any Israelite could eat what they had earned. This was based on their work in the tent of meeting. 
Thus, the word reward here is not a good translation. It should say your wages. The word is sakar, and it signifies that which is earned. It is the basis for the name Yisachar, which Leah claimed came through having earned another child through the giving of her maid to her husband. The reason for this verse is because the priests were often limited in where they could eat certain things and also who could participate in those meals, such as only the males or only those who were clean. No such restrictions were levied upon the Levites in the consumption of their earnings. Verse 32, and you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. The implication is that by not offering up the best portion of the tithe and gifts that they had received, they would, in fact, bear sin. The Lord had determined what was holy and sacred, and he had given commandments in regards to that. Thus, to ignore the commands was to ignore the Lord. This, in turn, is sin. Verse 32 finishes, But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. The Lord had just called these tithes and offerings from the Levites Jehovah's heave offering, which then belonged to the priests. Verse 1810 said of such things, In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. Therefore, if the Levites failed to make Jehovah's heave offering, it would profane what they had received as holy gifts of the children of Israel. In this, they would incur guilt, and they are now told that in this they would die. Lord, search me out in my desire to give. Help me to do so only with a cheerful heart. I know that it isn't by buying you off that I will live and that you aren't checking my percent and making a chart. A clean heart you desire, that is sure. I know this is so. Your word says as much. I am saved by grace alone. Only Jesus makes me pure. And you are not swayed by a monetary touch. We cannot buy off our sins. Only Jesus paid that price. And so when we give, it must be with a grateful heart. Help us to be thankful once and then thankful twice. Help us to hold fast to your grace and from it never to part. Our third thought today, which will upset many people I'm sure, is Old Covenant tithing, New Covenant giving. Tithing is a Mosaic Covenant precept, which is never mentioned in the New Covenant with the exception of Hebrews, where the author shows how tithing makes a theological point about the superiority of Christ Jesus over the law. It in no way prescribes the practice. As for the Old Testament, the first time giving a tenth is mentioned back in Genesis 14 after Abraham defeated the four kings of the east. At that time, it said this, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, meaning Abraham, gave him, meaning Melchizedek, a tithe of all. After this, giving a tenth is mentioned by Jacob when he was in Bethel, ready to go up to Padan Aram. After his vision in the night, he set up a pillar and made a vow that if God took care of him and brought him safely again to his father's house, the Lord would be his God. After that, he said this, and this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. In this, the Bible never says what, if anything, Jacob did with his tenth. Will he give it 
as a tenth for building and maintaining an altar? Will he throw a party for his family and rejoice in the Lord in songs and praise? It doesn't say. The promise is made and nothing else in scripture is stated. Regardless of this, both of these counts are descriptive. They prescribe nothing and they cannot be used as a case for tithing. However, some preachers will point to those two passages and claim that because they precede the law, the tithe is an eternal standard for man. They further claim that it then falls under the law of first mention, meaning that something mentioned for the first time is to be upheld after that. Guess what? There is no such law in scripture. If there were, then all first mentions would be by default an eternal standard and thus law. Bringing the firstborn of the flock to the Lord would be mandatory. That was right there in Genesis chapter 4. The first mention of taking a second wife would become the precedent. Oh boy! We would have to marry our oldest daughters off before our younger ones could marry. If our son died, we would be giving his widow to our next son to raise up children in the first son's name. Try that in America today. One would have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Guess what? That's something that Paul argues directly against. Every time we made an agreement with someone, we would have to offer seven ewe lambs to the one that we made the agreement with. We would also be paying dowries for our wives giving our firstborn a double portion of the inheritance and observing the weekly Sabbath. Do the preachers who hold to the law of first mention observe a Saturday Sabbath? No, they don't. We would also be observing those pilgrim feasts mentioned in Exodus, which predate the law of Moses. On and on and on it would go. There would be hundreds of such things we would be required to do. Also, if the law of first mention was true, Nehemiah would have referred to it in our text verse of today, and he did not. The law of first mention was certainly made up by someone who knew what the law of tithing actually says and didn't want to let go of the precept of beating 10% out of his flock. The reason I say this is that what the law of Moses says about tithes is wholly ignored by preachers. The first time it is mentioned in the law is in Leviticus 27. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. This says nothing of what to do with the tithe. It simply says that the tithe is holy to the Lord. The next time the tithe is mentioned is in the passage that we have looked at today. As you have seen, translations of these verses are generally inaccurate, stating tithes instead of tithe, and so on. In fact, in the King James Version, of which I keep a running record of errors, I found 22 translational errors in today's verses alone. The terminology here is so specific because Moses will next clarify the tithe in the book of Deuteronomy, where it is next mentioned. First, it is found in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy, and so I'm going to take you there and I'm going to read you that right now. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. 
There you shall make your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the clean and the unclean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your offerings which you vow or your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But here it is. You must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You eat your tithe. You eat your offerings. Everything that is holy to the Lord, you eat. It is obvious in reading this that not all the tithe of Israel was given to the Levites. Moses then clarifies why there is a seeming discrepancy between what we have seen here in Numbers and what it says in Deuteronomy 12. That is found in Deuteronomy 14, which we will now read. It starts in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. They've already been told. Every year you take 10% of what you have been given, you shall tithe it. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But... If the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then here you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money. You've just taken your tithe and sold it. Now you're spending that money for whatever your heart desires. The King James Version says, whatever your soul lusteth after. For oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, the word is shakar, it means blinko drink. It's like Jack Daniels today. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within the gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. Here it comes, verse 28. At the end of every... 
third year you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. As you can see, those verses clarify the specificity in Numbers 18. The tithe is holy every single year, as stated in Leviticus chapter 27, but it is only given to the Levites every third year. This cannot be speaking of a second tithe, obviously. If the first two years the Levite is mentioned as not being forsaken in verse 1428, and then the tithe is to be brought out and stored as required by verse 1429, then it can only be speaking of a single tithe each year, the third of which is to be collected by the Levites and to be handled according to the precepts of Numbers chapter 18. The next time the tithe is mentioned is in Deuteronomy chapter 26, which I will now read to you. It starts in verse 12, and it says, When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor have I given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all this that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is it for the law of Moses. Everything else in the Old Testament which mentions tithing is in relation to this law given by Moses. The only instance worthy of special note is Amos 4, verse 4, where it confirms Deuteronomy chapter 14 again. It says there, Enter ye Bethel, and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression, and bring in every morning your sacrifices, and here it is, every third year your tithes. This particular verse can be translated as every third year or every third day. The word is yamim. Most translations incorrectly say day. As Amos is citing the law of Moses, which we just read, it is to be rendered year. As has now been presented, the Bible clearly shows that the tithe of Israel was every year, but a tithe, does everybody understand why it was so peculiar about the S and the the before the word? Because I don't know if this was purposeful by translators or if they were just incompetent, but the word is singular and it does not have an article before it three times in almost every translation incorrectly translates it. The tithe of Israel was every year, but a tithe was brought forward to the Levites only every third year alone. Despite this, it is almost never mentioned by anyone. Instead, preachers shame their congregation into giving, and that from an old covenant principle which doesn't even apply anymore. But the really despicable thing is that there are preachers who actually say that the words about the third year is an extra tithe on top of a regular tithe. 
That is a flat out lie. It is a perfect example of preaching greed over grace. Imagine the nerve of standing in the pulpit and saying this, knowing that not a single person in the church would question his authority or even go back to check. I mean, who reads the law of Moses? And you wonder why I tell you week after week after week to check things out for yourself. And you wonder why we have been in the law of Moses now for eight years. The real question to ask a preacher that insists on tithing would be, okay, if we are to tithe as you say the Bible says, then why aren't you telling us to do it the way the Bible shows? Meaning once every third year. Watch him have a heart attack over that one. Either that or he might say, as I have heard said right down the road here, with the tithing verses plus all the other required sacrifices, almost 30% of what an Israelite made would have been required. Again, that is simply false. That is why we noted those verses too, and I highlighted them when I was talking. Many of the required sacrifices, as we saw, were eaten by the one who brought them after a removal of a sacred portion by the priests. These arguments have absolutely no basis in the truth. The tithing verses clearly show that the third year tithe alone was given away in its entirety and the other two years tithes were enjoyed by the giver in the presence of the Lord with some being given to take care of the Levites. In reality though, and before I even go on, if everybody in the church gave one-tenth every third year, as law of Moses says, which we're not under law, I'm not telling you to do that, but if everybody did that, churches would be overflowing with money. That's the truth. But that's the law of Moses, and I'm not even going to go there. None of this matters from a new covenant perspective. We are not under the law of Moses. In fact, the new covenant says often and explicitly that the law is set aside in Christ. It is obsolete. It is done. It is finished. We cannot insert old covenant law into new covenant theology without inserting heresy. It is that simple. We are, as the Bible reveals, living in the dispensation of grace. grace. Thank you. Here are some verses to support that. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's another. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. From Romans 6, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. From Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 5, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Colossians chapter 2, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting, meaning the law of Moses, of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The symbolism is that Christ is the fulfillment and embodiment of the law. He was nailed to the cross. He died. The law died when he died. Hebrews chapter 7. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And then from Hebrews chapter 8. In that he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. 
Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We could go on and on and on with verses like that, but the Bible is clear. In Jesus, the law is set aside. If we attempt to be justified by that law, meaning living by deeds of the law to be justified before God, then as Paul says, we have fallen from the very grace that was bestowed on us in Jesus Christ. Just as it should be, we are to hold to salvation by the grace of Jesus and his mercy through faith, not deeds of the law. This is what brings us salvation, and this is what decent preachers around the world and throughout the church age will tell you again and again and again, week after week. And yet, when it comes to tithing, all of this grace is thrown to the wind and the law almost inevitably gets reintroduced. One of the most common Bible quotes that you will hear on the subject of tithes is from Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And his answer, in tithes and offerings. After hearing this, you then receive a boring, hour-long sermon on how you, you terrible Christian you, are stealing from God if you don't give 10% just as the Bible says. And be sure to make it pre-tax because, of course, taxes don't count. You are made to feel guilty about it and shamed if you don't follow through with what they tell you. Never mind that Malachi was written when? Old Testament. Testament, Under the law. Old covenant, but also Old Testament. Under the law. Having said this, tithing is not in any way a new covenant principle. It was a practice mandated under the law, which was given to the people of Israel and to them alone. It is, like the rest of the law, set aside in Christ. And so... Having shown you what the law states and that it doesn't even apply anymore, what are we to do about giving? Is there a rule or a guide for us in the new covenant? The answer is yes. The doctor walked up and talked to me about it this morning and he quoted one of the two rules. There are actually two though. The first is found in 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Here it is. Storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. There you have the first of only two real directives given to any saint in the new covenant. Lay something aside weekly, storing up as you may prosper. But guess what? Even this is Paul speaking to those churches for a particular purpose which he described and a need that they had talked about and agreed upon. These words are not really prescriptive at all. However, if we apply them as such, and we can, we should ask, what does prosper mean? It doesn't say. It is different for each individual. Have you been freed from an addiction like gambling, alcohol, smoking, The money you used to spend on that could be given away. Aren't you prospering because of the change? If you didn't need it for something else then, why do you need it now? Or if you can give 10%, great, then the Lord has prospered you to give 10%. If you can't pay your own bills, should you be pressured into paying the bills for someone else? Is that what the Lord calls prospering? Well, maybe for the preacher, but certainly not for you. The second time Paul mentions giving is in Galatians 6, verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That is a precept, and it is prescriptive, meaning he expects it to be done. 
but he doesn't say a percent. Does he say a form of currency? Does he say anything about wages from your employment? No. He says to share in all good things with him who teaches. What is a good thing to you? Are you blessed about having seen the sunrise? I got to tell you something. A lady sends me sunrise photos every single day through the email. She's blessed by them and she shares that blessing with me. Isn't sharing that a good thing? Do you know how to make really good cookies? Isn't sharing that with your teacher a good thing? If you have a decent paycheck, isn't sharing that a good thing? If your pastor loves durian, won't you share yours with him? Paul wasn't specific. He just said to share in all good things with him who teaches. And don't forget the cookies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells us about the spirit of giving and the reaping which results from it. Here's what he says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't want to misapply these verses, okay? One cannot expect that he will always put in and get more out. And so in this, we can see that there is more than just a material reaping at the harvest. There is also the satisfaction which accompanies the reaping. Blessings are what come to us in that which we find satisfaction. A person may simply be blessed by going out and working in the cool breeze under the blue sky. Every year I wait until the first cool of the year before I start cutting the hundreds of palm trees that I have to cut at the mall and at 7-Eleven and at my house and here at the church because I enjoy it then and I don't enjoy it during the summer. If you've ever cut a palm tree, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Rats will come out on you, bugs will come out on you, ants will come out on you, you're cutting above your head and everything goes down your shirt. When you're hot, it's sticky and it hurts. Unless one goes out to reap though, this part of the blessing will be missed. However, the general principle here is a return on an investment by an increase of the same thing in which was invested. In other words, if you put in wheat, what's going to come up? Wheat. So it is a general principle. Proverbs 11 follows this same broad thought. Here's what it says there. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Without taking it to an unintended extreme, this is a general principle of increase. If a preacher promises you that you will receive a hundredfold if you send him 100 bucks, don't waste your time. God is not a cosmic ATM. He tends to our needs and he rewards each of us according to his wisdom, not our greed. Further, it needs to be remembered that sowing bountifully is something that can only be determined by the individual in relation to what he already possesses. If a millionaire, we'll suppose that half of you in here are millionaires. We'll make it this half over here. Okay, you guys on the right are millionaires. If you sow $500, it really isn't that much. In fact, it would be nothing compared to, over here, cash-strapped blue-collar workers who give the same amount. Just because it's the same amount, the proportion is one which cannot in any way, shape, or form be considered and compared. Paul has said that each should give as he purposes in his heart. Listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If this is so, then being told that you must tithe is what? 
It's a violation of those words, and thus it is a violation of Scripture. In preaching tithing, the preacher violates. He does not uphold Scripture. He has purposed, not the giver. The giver must give happily or grudgingly and not of will, but out of necessity. And if of necessity, then it is not done cheerfully. Only a voluntary gift is truly a cheerful gift. I would implore you to be knowledgeable in the Old Testament so that you will not be misguided by what someone says it says. I would challenge you to be firm in your convictions about what you will decide to do with your money in regards to the church. But I would beg you to only follow through with those firm convictions if you are able to do so and to be able to do so cheerfully. Cheerfully. Thank you. (laughs) When I let you down, as I am certainly bound to do someday, you will then be able to say, you know what? I gave willingly when I could and what I could. And what has now happened between me and Charlie will not affect my attitude about what I gave in the past. In the end, your gifts are a reflection of who you are before the Lord. If you are giving for any other purpose than voluntarily and cheerfully, you have given for the wrong reason. Jesus Christ gave every single thing that he has for us. Everything. He came into the stream of humanity, born into a house that was so poor that when they went to give the required offering for a male, it was the least offering allowed by the Levitical law. Two doves or two turtle pigeons. They could have given anything, any sized animal, and they gave the smallest because that's all they could afford. He was born into sheer poverty. He lived miserably in this existence, people belittling him, tearing him apart. Every time he said something, somebody was there to bring him down. Just like our president, Christ had it a thousand times worse. And he, the whole time this was going on, never sinned. Never once sinned. He kept his cool. He refrained from sinning. He fulfilled the law of Moses, which includes this precept. If he made a dollar in the mines or the, you know, working on stone and wood or whatever he did, he gave his percent because the law demanded it. He did everything perfectly without sin. And then he said, you know what, people, I'm going to do something that is going to amaze you. I'm going to give my life up in exchange for your sins. You have failed to tithe. You have failed to honor the Lord. You failed to bring your offerings and your sacrifices. You failed to worship me as you should with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. I'm going to take all of that sin on me. And guess what? I'm going to extend my arms so that it continues all the way around the world. Every human being on this planet, every person is covered by what I'm going to do. And he gave that life up in pain, anguish, and torture so that you could be reconciled to God. This law, when we reinsert this law of Moses, we are disgracing that. If you never give a thing to this church, I will never question it. And if you give a lot, you'll get a small thank you, and that's all. I'm not here to butter people up over money. I thank every person that has helped this ministry, every single person that has done something. You know how grateful I am. We've got a church of 20-some people. We would not exist without the people online helping us. And people have reached out, and they have helped, and we have never once asked 
That means that it was done cheerfully and without grudging because they voluntarily did it. And when they get mad at me, I say something that upsets them. They never say, send a thing again. That's their choice. They can look back and say, I gave when I could and now I'm no longer going to do so. But I am grateful for every single person that has helped this church because you have kept us going. I still work those four part-time jobs each, each morning except on Sunday. But on Sundays, I still go feed the animals behind the mall. I take all the bread and all of the meat. I do that. Yeah, I'm a softie. They wait for me every day. Birds galore. And I go back there and I feed them. And then I have to go to Publix and wash my hands because I got all that food in my hands. But anyway, thank all of you for supporting this ministry. And if you don't give a penny in support of this ministry and you pray for this ministry, that is your offering to the Lord. Whatever you do, there is no, as John Lang said, best supporter of the official pastorate. Your giving can be simply saying thank you for something that happened during a sermon. I appreciated that sermon. Man, when people talk about the Bible, that's where I get happy. That is where I'm happy. But please, if you have never called on Jesus Christ, or if you've been trying to earn his favor through deeds of the law, today be reconciled to him. Put away the deeds of the law, come to the grace of Jesus Christ, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Okay, this is what I would ask of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to preach on a subject which is very misused and misconstrued by so many. And I would pray that people's eyes would be enlightened to the truth of Scripture and that they would be blessed in their giving to whoever they give to in the future, knowing that it is done cheerfully and without compulsion. Lord God, be glorified through whether it's tithes or whether it's 20% or whether it's just simply sharing cookies with the pastor. Be glorified through that. And certainly be glorified through our praises of you, which is worth all all of what we can do because it's the only thing we can do is to praise you and to give you glory for who you are. Thank you for what you have done and the bounty you have blessed us with in this life. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a closing verse for you which I've already read, but it's a very important verse, so I'll read it again. It's from Galatians 2. It's verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Next week is Numbers 19, 1 through 10. Very exciting chapter of the Bible. The only word that rhymes with it is the word zephyr. It's entitled the red heifer. That'll be our 36th Numbers sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise and so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you okay when i was saying that i got myself sidetracked because i'm thinking to me this is the land of promise until i get to go see jesus is preaching to you all every week that is my land of promise it's all that my week is geared for every single thing that i do from monday until saturday night is geared towards this time with you and I love that you keep coming. Despite all of my idiosyncrasies, I just love it. Thank you. I've got a, I got a question for y'all. I said that tithing in the new covenant is only mentioned in Hebrews. However, it is mentioned at other times in the New Testament. Can anyone name one of the three times that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, but not in the new covenant? The uh, old woman who was at the church who gave uh, half a penny to... 
It doesn't say it was a tithe. It was an offering. So I can't give that to you. It doesn't specifically say tithe. You can't fit in that card. You're very, uh, yeah, you can't fit. This is a, okay. We'll, we'll just read them. That way you, you'll never forget this again. Three times in the New Testament. And guess what? This is the only time that it's mentioned other than for making a theological point in the New Testament. And guess what? All three times that it is said, it is said in a negative context, not a positive context. Yes. So I went way too far. I was getting excited thinking about something. And so I've got to get all the way back to Matthew chapter 23. And there it says for the first of them in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The next one is in Luke 11. It's verse 42. Give me a second here. There's 10. Luke 11, verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And then finally, in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, bragging before the Lord that he has earned the Lord's favor. Whereas the person that wouldn't even lift his eyes to the Lord and beat himself and said, God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me, he went home justified before God. The Levitical priesthood, Everybody like today's sermon? Yeah. Oh, good. Nobody got up and walked out. That made me happy. <laughs> then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, as to you I tell, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance. No need for repeating. In return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel, by and by, shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Thus shall it be. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord... I have given to the Levites as an inheritance according to my word. Therefore, I have said to them, to them I did tell, they shall have no inheritance among the children of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, Maybe they will do a happy dance when you take from the children of Israel the tithes, which I have given you from them as your inheritance. Then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe according to my word. And your heave offering shall be reckon to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and of the fullness of the wine press lots of grain and wine and plenty more thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the lord from all your tithes which you receive the greatest to the least from the children of israel and you shall give the lord's heave offering from it to aaron the priest of all your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the lord from all the best of them the consecrated part of them according to this word therefore you shall say to them when you have lifted up the best of it so i do address then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the wine press. You may eat it in any place, you and your households. Is there any need for repeating? For it is your reward for your work 
in the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die as to you I now submit. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness, and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess, and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Oh, thank you. I'll take it. Bonus. Bonus. All right. Hey, man, I get this for another week. Great stuff. I know. Congratulations, dude. Jim was so happy. It's like the first thing he said when he came in. To, Linda won. Yeah, he was He was happy. Oh, hang on. Let me get this. Uh, I hope that, you know what? I don't really care if people don't watch sermons. I, I want them to. I want everybody to watch these sermons and learn theology, but I would love to see this one sermon go up to like 40 million hits mm-hmm. and people around America stopping pressured into, people around the world stopping pressured into things. Grace. This is what he gave us. He gave us grace. Why would we try to damage that in any way, shape, or form? I just don't know. Grace. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of it is just lack of knowledge. As I've said, I've known preachers that have admitted they've never read the Old Testament. So where are you going to get your theology from? So you just teach what you, you think you know. There you go. 